Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Erin Bowersock, BowersockTeam.com. She is your Longhorn lender. Head over there right now. Let Erin do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown, that home loan process. Craig has nothing but good things to say about how easy and seamless everything went, thanks to Erin Bowersock and her team. Again, it is BowersockTeam.com. Erin Bowersock, your Longhorn lender. All right. Cameron, I want to throw this question at you. I threw this at my uh, Longhorn Blitz colleagues, Matt Butler and Rod Babers. Of the three guys that returned to practice yesterday, Malik Malik Murphy is a full participant. Jonathan Brooks is a full participant. Isaiah Nayer and Sark did say he's not a full participant. They are just monitoring his reps. He at least got back into drills yesterday. Of those three guys – which one do you feel like is the most significant in terms of their return to this team? I mean, you can talk about it right now. Looking forward to the season. Of those three, which one do you say, yeah, that one means more than the other two? Nair. You said that without hesitation. Yeah. Easy question. Yeah, why? I think Texas really missed an outside threat last season. I think we saw the offense just kind of the sputter without Nair, without that number three guy really stepping up. We talked about Casey Kane and how he basically uh, went MIA after the Iowa State game. No one else really became that guy outside of Worthy in Whittington. I think Nair, I'm hoping Nair comes in and relieves some of that pressure off Xavier Worthy and also can help take the top off the defense because the deep threat, which is a huge part of what Sark wants to do offensively, has not been there the last two seasons. Now, of course, Nair, he might be 80% when week one rolls around, but I'd rather have him out there at 80% than have him out, not have him out there at all. You know what's funny is when he went when he went down last year, I said on the show, I wrote on the site, because that's what Texas recruited him to do. That's why they got him from Wyoming. Like you looked at his numbers and you start, I mean, I'm not just talking about the 44 catches and the 12 touchdowns that he had his last year at Wyoming, but you start looking at like his pro football focus numbers and, you know, average depth per target, uh, you know, contested catch rate, all that stuff of a big time downfield threat where the numbers should be. Uh, pretty comparable to like Gabriel Davis, where Gabe Davis was in college. And when he went down, I'd said the significance of the injury was twofold one now you lost the guy that you recruited to be the vertical threat and now you you know you can't use Xavier Worthy as liberally as you were planning on using him you've got to kind of pigeonhole him into that role and people said oh no you're wrong it could be Troy O'Meary it could be Brendan Thompson it could be this guy it could be that guy you know some people and myself included to a certain point were banking on hey maybe you get something from a Jai Hall and Cameron what happened to the Texas passing game last year like you said you didn't have a true downfield vertical guy that that's pretty much all he did. You put way too much on Xavier Worthy's plate, and we saw the passing game sputter at some point. So that's what I think the, the addition of A.D. Mitchell did is between getting A.D. Mitchell 
and Isaiah Nayer, whenever he gets healthy, whenever he's 100% ready to go. And like you said, Cam, I think that's a good thing to point out. He may not be 100% this year. You know, because, yes, technology and surgeries and in medicine has come a long way, but, man, for, for speed guys, an ACL tear is still an ACL tear. So you just wonder. And a lot of that comes down to, to confidence and, and building that confidence back up and making sure you're good to go. So let's just assume Isaiah Nayer, if, if he's 100%, that's probably more than you were expecting him to be this year. But let, like you said, let's say he's 80%. Between an 80% Isaiah Nayer and 100% A.D. Mitchell, you should have the vertical threat you didn't have last year. Now you throw in Xavier Worthy, if he has two fully functional hands, then you'd expect a better year from him, the return of Jordan Whittington, and then – you know, John Tate Cook has had a great spring so far. I think DeAndre Morris put himself in a position to get some snaps. And, and look, there's a long way to go in spring ball, but I like the way that receiver core is shaping up. So I, I agree with you on Nayer's importance. My where I fall back immediately, my answer was I think of right now, and I'm looking I'm not looking at it down the road. I'm looking at it in the here and now. I think getting Malik Murphy back on the practice field. And getting him full go, I think that was the most important of those three returns. Okay. Because, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Steve Sarkeesian's been the head coach of Texas for two seasons. And each of those seasons, he went to the backup quarterback by game three. One, because of a performance issue in 2021. And last year, because of the injury to Quinn, you had to go to Hudson Card. Odds are... You're probably going to need your backup quarterback to play significant snaps. And whether it's Arch Manning or Malik Murphy backing up Quinn Ewers, you want your backup quarterback to be in that role because he earned the right to be the backup quarterback and to be the next man up, not just because it's by default and he's the only guy there. And and we might get to that point. You know, maybe Malik Murphy – transfers after spring ball or transfers at some point in the fall. I don't know. That's just me throwing out things that can happen because it's the quarterback position. We're in the transfer portal era. You're not going to keep a fully stocked quarterback room at all times. But, you know, what? I, I know everybody has looked at those two quarterbacks, Malik Murphy and Arch Manning, in terms of, well, can they push Quinn? And, and actually, you know what? Sark can lay this out better. Can we got this cut with uh, – uh, Sark was Sark talking about uh, Malik Murphy yesterday, and uh, he goes into like the quarterback competition and some other stuff. So let, let, let's just hear this cut from Sark real quick. Um, well, I think Ethan Burke has done a nice job. Um, I think that, that we've no, seen, not that one. Know, it's going to be about uh, the quarterbacks. Do we have that one? Yeah, I, I thought uh, Arch was uh, Arch. I would say today was his best day, um, which. You know, it should happen. We, hopefully we're, we've learned from week one and, and some of the things of whether it's the, the pace of play, whether it's the system, whether it's recognition of defense, whether it's ball placement, whatever that looks like. And um, I thought today today definitely was his best day. All right, that was Sark talking about Arch Manning. But basically when he was talking about Malik Murphy, he said that, you know, everybody likes to talk about a quarterback competition, but all, all three of those guys, everybody in that room needs to be able to push each other. And I know everybody's been looking at, you know, can those those two guys push Quinn? And I've even said that. Can those two guys push Quinn? And if they do, you know, if they have really good springs, that's going to hopefully force Quinn Ewers to raise his level of play, and you'll get a much better starting quarterback than what you got last year. But that backup quarterback piece, that backup quarterback piece is so pivotal. You've got to develop that position. You can't – 
you know, it's the it's the most important insurance policy insurance policy in sports is the backup quarterback at any level of football. And if you don't invest in that position and you go to cash in that insurance policy, you're going to be up the creek without a paddle. Cam, you think you got this cut? All right, let's just play it and see if this is it. And it's easy to point to the quarterback competition. Every position is an open competition. I can't tell a guy right now, hey, at whatever position is, he's the starter regardless. Everybody should be striving to be the best that they can be. We've got a long way till we play, right, in, in September. So ultimately, yeah, can Malik push Quinn? Of course he can. You know, how far can he take it? Quinn's job is to keep raising his level of play so he can't catch him, right? And that should be at every position across the board. Yeah, for sure. So I, that's why I think getting Malik Murphy back is so big. You got Everybody in that room has to push each other. And hopefully what it ends with is you end with a starting quarterback who has raised his level of play, who's ready to take a step forward from last year, and you've got a backup quarterback that if they are called upon to go in and play – is ready to go in and play. And let's be honest, man, that's what you had last year. You've, you've actually had that each of the last two years. I mean, you had that with Casey Thompson two years ago. And say what you want about Casey Thompson. Cameron, would you agree Casey Thompson played well B- before the thumb injury against the Oklahoma game? Yes. And when the thumb yes. wasn't an issue, I know I'm using a lot of caveats here, but we've seen a lot worse backup quarterback situations at Texas than what Casey Thompson gave you in 2021. And honestly, by the end of that run where Hudson Card had to be your starter, that was the best football Hudson Card has played in his time at Texas. Or that he was Purdue now, so that was the best football that he did play in his time at Texas was that stretch. Because, I mean, you go back and like look at that West Virginia game. Man, that was, I would say, either late in the Texas Tech game or that West Virginia game was probably the best we ever saw Hudson Card in terms of his ability to throw the football and run the offense. Most confident he's looked behind center all, no question. all career. So invest in the backup quarterback spot. Make sure you've got plenty of ammunition at that position. That is the one position where you cannot be left wanting. A position where Texas was left wanting two years ago were the edges. Cameron, you heard my stat, right, that I threw out about the edge defenders after I you know, went and pulled some numbers from Pro Football Focus and did some napkin math on my own. From runs that hit to the C-gap out on Texas in 2021 – Texas gave up almost seven yards per carry. It was 6.9 and change. Oof. Yeah. So the edges were pretty much non-existent two years ago. Now last year, the emergence of Baron Sorrell kind of had your your veteran stalwart there at Ovia Gofu, a guy that – was he an impact player? No, nope. but was he a guy that you could just put there? No, hey, he's going to at least do the job, and he's not going to really just – screw anything up to where it's a detriment to your defense. Just a good, good, solid piece there on the edge. But now you need those edge guys to take a step forward. You need a, a Justice Finkley to step up. And right now, if Texas went and played a game today, I think it would be Baron Sorrell and Justice Finkley. Well, what about Ethan Burke? What about Jamon Tapp? Uh, what about Colton Vosick? Sark went into some of those young guys. As he said earlier this spring, they're Rolodexing some guys through at those edge positions. Um, well, I think Ethan Burke has done a nice job. Um, I think that, that we've seen you know flashes out of him. I think we've seen flashes out of um, uh, Jamon Tapp. Uh, I think there's some position flexibility in Jure Bledsoe. Uh, I like the prospect of, of Colton Vosick. Um, I, I hate it if I'm leaving somebody out. But 
again, we got a long way to go at that spot. You know, I think Sorrell clearly, with the experience that he's had, that he's played with, um, feel strongly about that. And if we can create more activity out of him, I think he had five and a half sacks last year. Can, if, if he is that front-line guy for us, can we get that number you know, up closer to 10? What would that look like for us as a defense? So, um, but in the end, we're always trying to find complementary players and, and how do we generate that pass rush that we, that we so want, right? Um, I think we're one of the top teams in the country at pressuring the quarterback a year ago. We didn't always get the sack numbers, but we got pressure on the quarterback. But ideally, we'd like to get the sack number up because that means we're creating negative plays and it probably means we're getting off the field on third down, which is a huge point of emphasis for us this spring and then going into the fall. I still feel like their best pass rush presence is going to be on the interior until proven otherwise. Like I think Byron Murphy might be their best pass rusher. We know Tavondre Sweat has the ability in the middle of that defense to disrupt the quarterback. Uh, we've seen Alfred Collins do it in flashes, and, man, I, I really, really, really hope – that Alfred Collins puts it together because, Cam, you've seen him in person plenty, and when you go out to the practice field and you watch Alfred Collins, you're like, man, when you put an NFL defensive lineman together, like that's what they should look like. Like I think as long as he doesn't have just a terrible year, even if he has an okay year, I think Alfred Collins is going to get drafted next spring. It felt like because of the measurables, I think he'll test off the charts. And if he's productive enough that to to remain intriguing, I think he'll get drafted. And honestly, like at this point, I feel like Alfred Collins, I feel like his trajectory is a lot like Henry Melton in the sense that I think he's gonna have a much better pro career than he will have had a college career. Do you think that one of the most important traits for a defensive lineman interior defensive lineman is the motor in your mentality? Because it, it feels like with Alfred that kind of like the same way with Snacks and even Ojimo like two years ago. It felt like they didn't have playing their best ball, and then this past season they both kind of balled out. And the defensive line, interior-wise, became a strength, and it felt like we're waiting for Alfred Collins to make that step. And I'm curious, is that more of just you got to have maybe that determination and that hunger that we saw out of Coburn and, and Ojimo that you need to have as an interior defensive lineman because it's such a tough position to play? I think for Alfred, the big thing, and this is just me from the outside looking in, for me, I think it's he, he needs to have a defined role. I think at times, like I feel, especially two years ago, it just felt like they tried to do too much with him. Like, oh, we're going to play him at a three technique this game, and then he'll be at a five technique this game, and then we can move him around. Maybe he's just not a guy that can play multiple shades. Maybe he's a guy that needs more of a defined role. I don't know what it is, uh, and I don't know. I'm always, I'm always hesitant, Cam, to use the the he needs to to up his motor kind of deal because you just don't know is he having a hard time understanding it schematically, uh, or the coach is not relaying the information properly. Like, there's a disconnect somewhere, and I would just like to see whatever the disconnect is that's going to help him become a more consistent player. I would just like to see that disconnect fixed. But you know, the edge guys, edge is one of those positions. Uh, there's a lot of talent there, but it's inexperienced talent. That's why Justice Finkley has the edge on those other guys because he's just played more than those other guys have. But, you know, it's going to be a big spring for those other guys, for Tap and Burke and Colton Vosick. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe Chris Ross gets thrown in there since he's moved from interior D-line to edge. Jare Bledsoe, Jare Bledsoe is the most intriguing guy on defense, period, for me because at, you know, 6'3", 270, 
Sark has already said he he was one of their best athletes on that side of the ball. Period. Everything he brings to the table, you know, you could see him being a guy that is an impact player. But again, it's just where is he going to settle in? I think this year, because of the depth you've got, it's probably more situationally, kind of a more week to week thing on where you play him. But I'm really excited about Jare Bledsoe. But again, part of that group that's talented. They're just young and inexperienced. That's why I think initially, I think a lot of your pass rush pop is going to come from the interior with Byron Murphy. I've yet to talk to somebody, Cam, who has a bad thing to say about Byron Murphy's trajectory. Everybody in that program that you talk to assumes he's just ready to take off and take another step and be that next stalwart defender in the middle of that Texas defense. Everybody feels like Byron Murphy's getting ready to take off, and I would not disagree with them. I think the more snaps he gets – the better he's going to be. Him and Mo Blackwell were two names for me that it feels like the more snaps they get this year, the more experience they have, another another spring and fall to develop, they're going to be two key playmakers for a Texas defense I'm in 23. A, I'm a Mo Blackwell truther. I do not hide that. I'm very, very high on Mo Blackwell. Uh, and I'm not the only one who's high on Mo Blackwell. I've heard there's some folks inside the program that think very fondly of Mo Blackwell. Uh, that's going to do it for this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook.